Welcome to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. Final week of May here, just coming off of Memorial Day weekend, uh, getting ready for June, and hopefully getting ready to gear up for uh, college football soon. We know now that uh, Ohio State's football players are going to be, or at least some of them are going to be back in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center for voluntary workouts on June 8th. So seems like we've got some momentum toward a college football season and uh, plenty to talk about once again on this week's show. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we're not leading off with coronavirus talk because I just feel like since this is a weekly podcast and it's not daily or anything, it's not something that we're able to to update our opinions with with regularity. I just feel like everything has even shifted since the last time we talked on here, and I feel like a lot of things I said last week were dumb, so I'm looking at what we're um, planning to talk about today, and I'm just glad that you know most of my opinions won't be outdated within 24 hours of this going up. Yeah, we, we will talk about that a little bit later in the show, but we, since we talked about it for uh, a big portion of last week's show, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into some other topics first. Uh, save that until closer to the end. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about you know some of Ohio State's recruiting efforts today. Uh, we'll talk, we'll continue our state of a position series of the wide receivers, and maybe just maybe I will honor Silver Sniper's request and bring out my rock band impression this week. So uh, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that, or or don't. Your choice, but. Uh, listen to all the rest of it coming up here. What a tease that was, Dan. Yeah, that's a that's a tease. I don't know if I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know if it makes people want to continue listening or not. But we're we're saving that for the very end. Uh, so we're going to start by talking about some Ohio State football and uh, talking about recruiting, which has been a, a pretty regular topic for us here this offseason on Real Pod Wednesdays because it seems like every single week we have a new commitment to talk about and uh, there was another one again this Sunday Denzel Burke four-star cornerback from Saguaro High School in Arizona uh, potentially completing Ohio State's defensive back recruiting class uh, I know our Zach Carpenter thinks they're still going to go after a few more guys here maybe try to add another one to the class but uh, you know, bringing in another true corner, a top 200 prospect. Uh, their third commit from Arizona in a couple years as they signed Jack Miller and Lathan Ransom in 2020. And of course, Ohio State's lead for the number one recruiting class in the country, continuing to grow over 300 points now for the class, would rank fourth in last year's class rankings. And there's still some big fish out there on the board that Ohio State's trying to land. So the train just keeps rolling for uh, Ryan Day and his staff on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I mean, this is the part of um, the weekly podcast where we just talk about how amazing Ohio State's recruiting is, which seemingly um, we're never going to be able to stop doing because the way that they're on a roll is just incredible. I mean, when Denzel Burke committed, like, it, it wasn't – like it was, it was a big deal. Ohio State gets another defensive back. Like you said, it, it could be their final defensive back, even though you know they might add another one. Um, but it just felt like the widespread opinion was, you know, this is another get. But 
the the big fish are still on the board, like you said. But if you look at where Denzel Burke would rank specifically in the other Big Ten recruiting classes, he'd be Penn State's second best commit, and he'd be Michigan's fourth best commit, and he's Ohio State's fourteenth best commit. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking that on Sunday when the commitment happened, because even just looking like on Twitter at like engagements and comments on our website and stuff. The reaction almost felt a little bit toned down yep, for a recruit. And I think that's probably partially because it was a beautiful day in Columbus. It's Memorial Day weekend. People have been cooped up in their houses for two months. And so I think Sunday afternoon, uh, Memorial Day weekend, a lot of people probably weren't sitting at their computers waiting for a recruiting commitment. But I think it also just speaks to the fact that we've gotten so accustomed to these big-name recruits uh, committing to Ohio State now that it just doesn't feel like as big of a deal as it maybe would uh, in many years. But it, because of what you just said, you know, that's what I think, you know, I really want to look at today is because Denzel Burke, maybe it doesn't feel like a big deal for Ohio State right now, but this would be a big deal to just about any other school. And it certainly would be a big deal to any other school in the Big Ten because, uh, you know, I took a look at this for an article on 11 Warriors on Tuesday, and you know, certainly a lot of other people have as well. But Ohio State right now has commitments from 15 of the top 205 prospects in the class of 2021, including Denzel Burke. The rest of the Big Ten has 11 combined. Like you mentioned, he'd be the second best recruit in Penn State's class right now. He'd be right up there for Michigan. And, and, you, and you look at Michigan. Michigan ranks sixth in the nation right now. They, they, they've been on a roll. I, I think our own David Regenbaugh proved to be the motivation Michigan needed to pick up steam on the recruiting trail. Because ever since he wrote his article in March about Michigan's two commitments, they've had 13 commitments in the last two months. So, you know, they've actually built some pretty good momentum on the recruiting trail. They, they've put together a pretty solid class. But yet... When you compare it to Ohio State's class, there really is no comparison because the amount of top-end talent that Ohio State is getting, Michigan can't keep up, and really almost nobody else can right now. No, no, it, it, it's it's sort of incredible. I mean, if you just look at what, what Michigan's ranking is um, with its recruiting class, so it's average player ranking, rating, which is, you know, I don't know that it means a ton to people outside of the, the recruiting world, but essentially it's the, the evaluation of, of how good the player is. Right now it's .89, and that's their average player rating. Ohio State right now has 19 commitments, one's a special teamer. Only three of them have a have a – three players have a, have a player rating below .89, and, and they're all three just barely below it. Um, the, the, the lead that Ohio State is stretching on, on the recruiting trail within the, the nation's impressive. But I think that, the, that one of the points that, that I want to make today um, is just about what I think this means for the Big Ten. Because, you know, <laughs> people lost their mind on Twitter a few days ago. What was that, on Sunday, Dan? It um, was. When Scott Bell, who um, writes for a Dallas newspaper, uh, put out a tweet talking about how Michigan is as six of the 10 highest rated non-Ohio state bound commits in the big 10 in the big 10 East. Um, and that was, 
obviously taken and ran with by all Ohio State fans because to me, we're at a point where Michigan has a top 10 recruiting class right now and Michigan's not even bothering to compare itself to Ohio State, which I think says a heck of a lot more about Ohio State's class than Michigan's when it's having to compare itself to to Penn State and Maryland and (laughs) Rutgers and whoever else. Yeah, I mean, it really does because like I said a couple minutes ago, Michigan is ranked sixth in the country right now. It's it's not as if Michigan has a bad class right now. I mean, mean, Michigan does have a five-star quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. They've got quite a few four-stars at this point. They've got a really solid class, but it goes to show you the separation that Ohio State is putting above everyone else in the Big Ten and, you know, really around the country. I mean, if you look at those average ratings, uh, Clemson is pretty close to Ohio State. They don't have as many commits, but they're pretty close. You know, Georgia's up there. Uh, Oregon's up there. You know, they only have eight commits, but they, they've got a pretty high rating. But when you look at the, the top-end talent, the rest of the teams in the Big Ten just aren't landing that kind of talent at anywhere near the rate that Ohio State is. And, and it's been that way. I mean, it's been that way. If you if you look back, you know, through recent recruiting classes as well, it, it, you're just not – those schools just aren't going to bring in the kind of classes that Ohio State is putting together for 2021. And, you know, I think when you look forward to it, you just wonder – I mean, Ohio State's won three straight Big Ten championships in a row. How hard is it going to be for anyone else in the Big Ten to knock Ohio State off that perch? Because if the Buckeyes continue to widen this talent gap the way they are, it's going to be really difficult for anyone in the Big Ten to seriously compete with them. Yeah, I mean, we saw last year um, just how much Ohio State just ran through the entire Big Ten. I mean, it was one of the most dominant regular season performances I can remember. Um, I mean, I think the first time that it seemed like that they were going to even be within 10 points of their opponent, they beat beat Penn State by 11 points, and they went and they crushed Michigan. And a Big Ten title game, it seemed like they had a chance to lose, and then, of course, they come out on top there. And it just seems like... I don't I, I I don't even know how the the Big Ten gets in, gets back into this because um, at least for the next few years Ohio State is going to have a ridiculous talent advantage and it's almost like you have to wait until Ohio State settles down but with the momentum Ohio State has right now and and what they're beginning to do in 2022 already I mean this this is this has Ryan Day set up to do pretty great things uh, in, in Columbus. And, and to be honest, if, if I were a Michigan fan, it would just be a little depressing. I mean, when I looked at that Scott Bell tweet, and I know he went back with a lot of people to talk about, like, I can't believe that Ohio State fans are, are you know, latching on to, to this. I think that they called, that he called them a NASCAR, uh, NASCAR fans, Dan, which um, as a NASCAR fan yourself, how did that sit? I mean, I think I mean I think that's a compliment to be a NASCAR <laughs> fan. So, I mean, if if that's an insult, I don't get it. But okay, yeah, I, I'll say this: I I understand the insult, Dan. But um, I would never I would never make that about you because I know I know how you, I know how much you love uh, love your NASCAR. But to go back to the point, I think that I just think I'm not sure how you can how you can look at what Jim Harbaugh is building there 
and think that he's ever going to get it over the hump of, uh, of Ohio State. And, and it goes back to a debate that I know we had on, on 11warriors.com, the website, uh, was that a week or two ago, about will Jim Harbaugh ever beat Ohio State? And I just think the more I look at these recruiting rankings, the harder it is for me to get to, to get to that point to believe that. And and you know, everything can change if Michigan strikes gold with a JJ McCarthy or if Dylan McCaffrey turns out to be awesome. If someone if if one of their quarterbacks just turns out to be great, because we we've seen at Ohio State just what a great quarterback can do to, to arrest the team. But what Ohio State's doing right now, I think you just it, it's it's hard to compare yourself to the rest of the Big Ten, but at the same time, the the obsession that I think Michigan fans talk about Ohio State fans having with them, I think it's reasonable because otherwise, I I, I do think that um, you leave yourself open to a little bit of vulnerability, um, and Ohio State has just crushed everything that that Michigan has hoped to build right now. And to be honest, it just seems like it'll be that way for the foreseeable future, which is um, pretty nuts to say, given the fact that Ohio State's been so dominant in, in the game for the past couple of decades. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to make the distinction between, you know, one game and sustained success, too, because, you know, we see it. You know, Iowa 2017 happens. Mm-hmm. Purdue 2018 happens. It, we are not saying here that Ohio State is going to win every Big Ten game it plays for the next ten years. That's that's not going to happen. It's not realistic. Seems there's, unlikely. There, yeah, there's there's going to be teams that you know catch lightning in a bottle. There's going to be upsets. You know, there, there there could still be down years for Ohio State. I mean, you mentioned you know a quarterback. You know, you could have a year where maybe your quarterback play is down. You know, you could have a year where you know you know injuries build up and and, and things just don't go right. But I think when you just look at these, you know, sustaining success here, it's just it's hard for me to envision right now any Big Ten team that could really flip the balance of power in the Big Ten right now. I just think the gap between Ohio State and everybody else is is getting so big that I just don't I don't really see it where any other team right now is anywhere close to where. You know, they could seriously challenge Ohio State for being, you know, the best team in a conference year in and year out. I mean, we see, you know, Penn State always plays them tough. I mean, you're always going to worry about Michigan because they they are your rival. Wisconsin, uh, they're always good. I don't know if they're ever great, but they're always good. But I think that's the question here is, you know, you, you talk about, you know, can another Big Ten team be where Ohio State is and wants to be, which is contending for a national title every year. No other Big Ten team is at that level, and I, and I don't really think that any of them are anywhere close to getting to that level. And so I think, you know, for the foreseeable future, with the kind of talent Ohio State is recruiting, you, you would expect the Buckeyes are going to be the favorite in the Big Ten year in and year out. Yeah, I think that you make the good point that they're going to get beat. It just happens. I mean, it could have been Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship last year, which seemed so shocking given what Ohio State had done in the regular season. But obviously it wasn't. But but one of those teams that we don't see coming will strike and, and get Ohio State. I mean, that's just, how, that's just how it works. But the point is, is Ohio State just separated itself from the rest of the Big Ten in terms of talent and su- to such a degree that, like, this is going to – 
this is going to be a long process, I think, for whichever team can rise um, rise nets, whether it be a Penn State, whether it be a Michigan, to, to reach Ohio State. Or you have to wait until Ohio State falls. Um, because what we're talking about is, is the consistency atop the Big Ten. And right now, it just seems like Ohio State is is primed to, to be the supreme team in the Big Ten for, I'm, I mean, literal years. Like, I think you could make a case that for the next half decade, it's just hard to imagine another team reaching reaching that point with a with a degree of consistency just based on talent alone. Obviously, things can change, but that's that to me is 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 what this uh, this recruiting run has, has sort of meant. And to me, you know, I I really think we've firmly moved into the territory now where Ohio State Ohio State isn't really recruiting against Michigan and Penn State anymore in in terms of per se you know building a class building an overall talent pool ohio state you you recruiting against clemson and alabama and lsu and oklahoma and georgia because i think that's that's where you have to be as as a recruit in in recruiting now is you've already got that talent gap over the rest of the big 10 so now your your goal on the recruiting trail is to build teams that can beat clemson that can beat alabama that can beat LSU, and and I think you see it more and more now in terms of the recruiting battles, where you know especially for guys if they're recruiting outside of the Midwest, you know you you see all the time now that Ohio State's in a final free for a guy with with Clemson or you know some of these other Southern schools because they're trying to get those elite of the elite guys who all want to go play for a team that gives them a chance to to win a national championship. And I think, you know, obviously they had to compete against Penn State for Julian Fleming. Uh, you know, they're competing against Penn State right now for Derek Davis. You know, there might be a couple guys in Michigan that they're, you know, still vying with Michigan for a little bit. But outside of guys that are actually in those states... I don't know how much Ohio State has to worry about those schools anymore. I think you know you, you, the schools that you're really worried about are you know the Clemsons and the LSU's and the Alabamas of the world be, because you're shooting for the same guys that they are. No, I completely agree with that. I think it's um, when was the last just Ohio State Michigan recruiting battle that you can remember. I mean, it was probably Zach Harrison, which is funny because no one knew anything about the particulars of that recruitment as it went on because he was so quiet. And you know, it, it, there was a potential that we're just going to be Donovan Edwards in the Donovan Edwards in the 2021 class, but obviously Ohio State has two top 100 running backs and isn't recruiting him anymore. Um, I think that whether it be strategic or not. Um, Penn State and Michigan don't particularly want to get into recruiting battles with Ohio State right now, and, and for good reason, honestly. Um, there's no reason to, to want to um, face off with, with Ryan Day and his staff um, on the trail at the moment. Dan, I was I was thinking of this earlier. Um, for the next half decade or so, like what is the Big Ten team that you think Ohio State should be worried about the most? I just think, I think it's harder than ever to really pinpoint that, in my opinion. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there just there just isn't really a great answer in my opinion because I just don't, you know, I, I tend to lead toward Penn State, but then I look at their recruiting class and I say, okay, they've got one guy in the top two hundred and fifty. Like that's that's not going to keep 
you know you, you right there of Ohio State you're, you're gonna fall back if that's what you're doing on the recruiting trail right now and you know I mean in terms of recruiting talent the team that has been the closest to Ohio State for the past half decade pretty consistently has been Michigan so I mean in in terms of just talent Michigan is the team that hypothetically should be the closest but when you blow them out in back-to-back years when Jim Harbaugh has never beat you it's it's hard to be scared of them either so I just don't I really don't have a good answer you know because you know I look at a team like a Wisconsin and say yeah I mean that that's a team more often than not you're probably going to play them in the Big Ten championship game and you know they're going to be good enough to beat you there because they're always a good team but I don't think they're ever going to be on the same plane as you talent wise you know I fought a couple years ago I thought maybe Nebraska becomes that team, but so far, I mean, they, you know, neither their recruiting nor their on-field play has suggested that they're a real threat to Ohio State. So I just don't really think there's a team out there right now that I can look at and say this team is in a position to be a consistent threat to Ohio State unless Ohio State stops performing at the level that it's at right now. Yeah, it, it, it's really as hard as ever to pick that out. I mean, otherwise, you're going to be looking at will will a team jump up and get Ohio State unexpectedly, which is really the last couple times that Ohio State's been beat, is that's what happened. Because um, otherwise, I'm at the same place with you. I think Penn State's in a really interesting situation. Um, because, like you said, they have one player in the top 250 committed. Um, if you look at their last recruiting class, they only had two top 130 players in the entire class. Um, and if you look, if you go even further back, that's where um, that's where their recruiting class are a little bit stronger. So you think, well, I don't know, maybe this is the year that that Ohio State um, can can get tested with Penn State. They're going to 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 play them on the road, um, but I don't know. I mean. Everything about everything about Ohio State right now, um, when you compare them talent-wise to Penn State, um, Ohio State's a more talented team. Justin Fields and another alternate universe could be the quarterback at Penn State, and that obviously would have changed everything. But instead, he's in Columbus, and and I don't know. I, I, I when I when I just look forward, I think that it's really hard to pinpoint a team. Like you said, Michigan is the obvious pick because Michigan is Michigan for for all for. Even its inability to, to be in the same sphere of, of elite recruiting classes with Ohio State, they have recruited well, but no one in their right mind would look at what Ohio State has done to the Wolverines lately and say that that's going to be Ohio State's toughest test. Like, I look at something like a Minnesota. Like, what if Minnesota um, got into the Big Ten title game and, and gave Ohio State a run? Like, I don't know. Maybe that's the answer, but they might play them how many times over the next five years? Just a couple? Um, I don't know. I, I think it's as hard as ever to, to pick that out, though. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota could beat them in one game. I mean, there, I don't think there's any chance that Minnesota reaches a level that it can seriously contend with Ohio State on a consistent basis. No. I just think, I don't think that's realistic. You know, I, I mean, again, I think, you know, the, the, the two teams you look at are Michigan and Penn State, but. You know, you look at a Penn State specifically. Here's the deal. If Penn State wants to have any chance to contend with Ohio State, you got to keep Julian Fleming in state. You got to keep Kyle McCord in state. You got to keep Marvin Harrison Jr. in state. If you're keep letting Derek Davis in state, yeah, you do. I mean, if you're letting those guys go to Ohio State, you're not going to have a chance. You're not going to have a chance because Penn State. There was a time 
in Penn State's history where Penn State was, you know, they were dominating New Jersey and Maryland and they were, you know, they were getting some kids out of Ohio and, and they really had a huge presence in the Northeast. They're not really doing that anymore. Ohio State's actually going into those areas and getting more of those kids now. So, you know, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're Penn State, you've got to be getting those elite kids in your region. If it's if that doesn't happen, it, it it's just going to be hard for you to compete with the Ohio States of the world. You know, I think, you know, to me right now, Penn State is firmly in that second tier of college football teams where, you know, I think, you know, they're, they're good. They're a 10-win team every year. I think, you know, they're good enough to beat Ohio State in any given game. But are they good enough to, to make a college football playoff run, to make a national championship run? I don't think their talent's quite at that level. Dan, let me ask you a, a question: Is will Ohio State over the next five years have more combined losses to Michigan and Penn State, or Alabama and Clemson? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I, I mean, one of them gets ten opportunities; the other one right. might get two. <laughs> that's why. That's why it's a really good question because I do. I mean, I think in any given game. Uh, I I like Ohio State's chances to beat Michigan and Penn State a lot better than Alabama and Clemson, but uh, you know I also don't necessarily think Ohio State's going to lose every time it plays Alabama or Clemson. So yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I mean, I guess I I think I lean toward Alabama and Clemson just because we haven't seen Michigan State and Penn State, you know, really Michigan and Penn State, sorry, really be able to. You know, seriously contend with Ohio State at a level where I think they're going to have many chances to beat them. Yeah, I don't think there's a wrong answer there because I think it's impossible. I mean, my brain is at the point now where I think I've picked, I, I think I've picked in the last four years maybe Michigan to win twice and just really regretted those picks really quickly. Um, and I, I don't think my brain could even process the fact that if, if Michigan came into Columbus this year and, and beat Ohio State. Like that's the kind of thing that I can't even I can't even really wrap my head around right now. So if you're talking about five years of playing Michigan at this point, like I'm I'm I would predict that Ohio State goes five and oh, which is sort of nuts, but that's where I'm at. So to me it's it's can Penn State um, get Ohio State twice the next five years or something like that. And that's where I don't know. Um, and obviously um, well, I, we have no idea how many times Ohio State would play Alabama or Clemson in the next five years or so. But you have to imagine that you know they'll get a they'll get a rematch against both of those teams at some point in the next half decade. We certainly hope so. Um, I might go with the Big Ten teams just because just because you get ten shots. Yeah. But it's a I, I think it's an impossible question to answer just based on talent alone. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I, I'd pick Ohio State to go 10 and 0 against Michigan and Penn State the next five years. I think that's, uh, that's very bold. I, I mean, don't know, that's I, what I, I would. Dan. I heard 10 and 0 come out. No, of I, I, I mean, I would put it at, I don't know. I mean, eight and two, nine and one. I mean, I, I don't really see. I mean, I, I think I would, I would pick Ohio State to beat each of those teams for the next five years. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of firmly at the point now where I'm not going to pick uh, Jim Harbaugh Michigan squad to beat Ohio State until I actually see it. But does that mean I think Ohio State's going to win five more in a row? I mean, that's a lot. That's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've 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 got a good streak going, but that's a lot. So, you know, I mean, I 
you know, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to go 10-0 against those teams for the next five years. I'm not going to make that prediction. But I, I do think Ohio State's going to uh, be able to consistently beat those teams a lot more often than not because, uh, again, if, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, this game, uh, it does come down to talent. And Ohio State's got a lot more of it than any other team in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to to what we were discussing at the top of this, uh, at the top of this, which is you know the gap is so wide that right now the three options that you threw out were eight and two, nine and one, and ten and zero against those teams. But at the same time, like that sounds sort of correct to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if if Ohio State goes into a tailspin over the next five years, this will be some good uh, old takes exposed material for people who don't like Ohio State. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Well, if we're going to talk loaded with talent, we might as well talk about Ohio State's wide receivers because there is no doubt that Ohio State's wide receivers are loaded with talent. And, you know, a lot of that starts with, you know, the recruiting class that they just brought in with Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, G. Scott Jr., Mookie Cooper, all top 100 recruits. But, uh, of course, it, it starts with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who, you know, I think both have the potential to be legitimately among the best wide receivers in the country this year. But the big question for this group going into this year is the fact that outside of Olave and Wilson, we haven't really seen anybody else in that group play significant snaps at this point. So I think, you know, for the coaches especially, after having only three spring practices, I think when they look at their their state of the position there, I think their big concern right now is just the fact that they don't have a ton of experienced guys there. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I almost feel like I'm a little bit at odds with with some opinions about Ohio State's receivers because like if you just look up and down the roster of, of talent, it's crazy. I mean, they have two three stars in the room. One's Elijah Gardner who hasn't played much at all, and the other is Chris Olave, who's the best wide receiver on the team. And everybody else is a four star or a five star or you know, C.J. Saunders, who's a sixth-year former walk-on. Um, that's a crazy, crazy amount of talent. I mean, I do I do think everything begins with Olave and Garrett Wilson, and, and we can have the discussion about the others in the room. But, like, if we're talking duos, like, that, that I, I imagine without thinking, just off the top of my head, I mean, that's got to be one of the most talented duos in the country. Um even disregarding the fact that Ohio State's going to have four new guys and and the rotation to go alongside with them. Yeah, I mean it's definitely up there. I mean LSU brings back Jamar Chase and Terrence Marshall, so mm-hmm. they're you know they they might be number one. You know Clemson brings back Justin Ross and Amari Rogers, so you know they're certainly up there. Uh, I think Alabama brings back Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith, so they're certainly up there. But again, those are the teams you were just talking about. You know, those are the teams you're competing with. We're not talking about uh, other teams in the Big Ten here. Uh, we're talking about other teams that are national championship contenders. Uh, so I think certainly top five. I mean, I think there's you know a few of those other power schools have some really good receivers coming back too. But I think certainly you talk about a top two of a receiving core. I think Olave and Wilson. I would certainly think are are a top five group in the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean. When I think about Garrett Wilson, I mean, he had about seven plays that made my jaw drop last season as a freshman, and he only had 30 catches. I would say that's a high, that, that, that is a high rate of jaw dropping, um, in my amateur opinion. Um, 
I'm I'm very I, I'm fascinated to see what he'll do this season in particular because if he ends up at the slot, I just think there's a lot to like about that. And 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 if you had told me a year ago Garrett Wilson in the slot, I would have said that's a little bit weird. Um, when I think about him, I think about him as as someone who can go down the field, um, can high point a ball, um, has really good hands, um, really good body positioning when the ball's in the air. Um, I think he's incredible at that. So. To me, those skills don't necessarily translate um, 100% to what you would want in a slot receiver. But I will say, having watched him, and what did we get, Dan? Two practices? Which we is, saw one practice. We saw one practice, so that's what I like to base my opinion on. One practice worth <laughs> of um, um, watching him for probably in total 10 to 15 minutes. So I'm going to have my entire offseason of takes based on those 10 to 15 minutes. But in, all, in actuality, like he just looked... He looked he looked natural there. He looked like a he looked like um, something of a combination of what Ohio State has had there. He's fast. He has hands. He, he's he just glides when he moves. He's a he's super smooth as a receiver. And I just I, I mean I think that he has a chance to lead the team in catches. And I think he has a chance to double what he did last year in production, which was just thirty catches. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certainly if he's, you know, playing that slot role, which is usually, you know, we've seen in recent years, that's typically been a receiver who has uh, either led the team in catches or has been, you know, very close to it. So I think certainly, uh, you know, that could be a possibility. I mean, I, I would I would lean toward Olave leading the team in receptions, but... I think he'll no, lead I, the I, team. If I were to make a prediction right now, I'd say he leads the team. Olave leads in yards and Garrett leads in catches. Possible. That's certainly certainly possible i i think one thing to recognize with garrett wilson is if if he moves to the slot that doesn't mean he's going to be used the same exact way they used kj hill you're you're not you're going to take advantage of the guy's talent that you have so if you're moving him to the slot the slot's going to look a little different than it's looked in the past, it's certainly not going to be the Urban Meyer H back role. It's it's going to be a different role there. But I think, you know, it's it's something that intrigues them because of the kind of matchups that you can create by putting a guy who's you know as athletic, who's got as much ability, you know, to to make plays on the ball down the field as you have in Garrett Wilson. He's not your conventional slot receiver. But I think they like the potential there of, of him getting matchups on the inside and being that weapon who can really go up and make plays in the middle of a field. And I think it adds a potentially different dynamic to this Ohio State offense that you know could make it look a little bit different than it's looked in the past. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I also think that you know if, if Garrett Wilson ends up starting at the slot, I think that the, the way Ohio State has... Um, has its receivers right now set up I think that he has the ability to move back and forth between the outside and the slot just because they have a lot of guys who can be inside at that slot especially if CJ Saunders gets his sits year of eligibility maybe DeMario gets a few plays there you have Mookie Cooper and Jetson Smith and Jigba um, as freshmen I think that sort of like the linebackers which we've talked about in the past I think that Ohio State can use that slot and sort of get whatever they want out of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's amazing how quickly it went from 
oh no, they're losing KJ Hill. How are yeah. they going to replace him? To do they have too many receivers in the slot? Because that's kind of a way I feel now. If all these guys that they have there, it's like all those guys you just named are guys who I legitimately think could be in the rotation in some capacity or another. They're not all going to be because there's not enough room for them. But every one of those guys you mentioned, I think, is a legitimate candidate for real playing time this year. So you know, it, it does. It opens up you know, a variety of possibilities. And I think, you know, that's certainly one of them, which you could, you know, you could have Garrett playing in the slot on certain downs and moving outside on others. And maybe this, you know, maybe this rotation looks different than what we're used to. I think, you know, at least since I've been back covering the team, they've been so consistent with this, you know, rotate two guys and play them equally at every position. That's kind of what I expect. But maybe this is a sign that they want to do that a little differently this year. Maybe, you know, they do want to move guys around a little more and and be a little bit more selective about, you know, using guys in certain situations. I don't know. I don't know. But but the way they've done it has worked pretty well. So I don't think they really need to uh, change it in a big way. But I do think, you know, the idea of moving Garrett to the slot, you know, adds to some interesting possibilities that does make me wonder – about what they might be wanting to do with this group this year. To me, the biggest question about receiver right now is who's the third starter. I think I wrote about it a month ago and still have um, just about zero idea who it'll be. Um, Because I think that we're both in agreement on our prediction of who it'll be, and I think that runs counter to what most Ohio State fans think will happen. Um, And I'll let you speak for yourself, but... I know I predicted in, in my article this weekend that it'll be Jalen Harris starting at the X with Julian Fleming as his backup rotating. And um, I think that the prevailing opinion, if there's one disagreement with, with how Ohio State will use its receivers, is that a lot of people think that you know Julian Fleming will come in and start. And while I don't rule that out by any means, I just think that that's tough, especially with a minimal amount of spring practices and summer workouts and uh, we still don't know how much um, of, a, of a preseason camp Ohio State will get, whereas Jalen Harris has now been in the program th- for three years, and I think it's an incredibly quiet three years considering he has five total catches. But I don't know. He's someone who I think I've heard his name come up a decent amount. I think he's just been blocked by, by, by players in the past. I really do believe that. I don't I, – I think, sure, he maybe he's not the – he, didn't, he needed more time to develop than Ohio State would have wanted. But I think there's a lot to work with there with his, with his physical frame. And, and, and I think that he'll get that first opportunity to start, though I understand, I fully understand why people think it'll be Fleming. Yeah, I'm leaning toward Jalen Harris being the third starter as well. But I think that also, again, goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of, you know, how are they going to utilize these receivers? Kind of what's their master plan for you know, getting, you know, a variety of guys on the field. Because to me, if I was just ranking the receivers in terms of who do I think is going to, you know, make the biggest impact this year, who do I think is the most ready to to, to play this year and be a big factor, it, Olave and Wilson are clearly number one and two. And then I'd have Jamison Williams at number three. The reason I don't have him as the starter is because I think him and Olave probably play the same position at that Z position. But maybe that changes. You know, if, if, if Jamison Williams, if, if you hypothetically say, okay, Jamison Williams is the third best receiver going into the season, do you have to manipulate that so that he gets on the field and he's a starter? Yeah, I, I don't, 
I don't I don't think that you do. Just in the way that Ohio State rotates its receivers, and that actually goes back to my point of why I'm not sure that um, Julian Fleming would start is because if Ohio State's rotating its receivers fairly equally, like Jameson Williams would get sort of as many snaps as he would get um, typically um, if if he was Chris Olave's backup as if he were if he were a starter, um, and unless that changes, and like you said. I think it's. I think it could potentially change just because of the way that um, the that that Garrett Wilson can move around. But I don't think that they have to move. They have to switch positions just to get him on the field more. I think that in Ohio State's offense, the way that they've operated under Brian Hartline, that would sort of come naturally. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, I lean toward you know for rotation if they continue to go with the same kind of rotation that they've used in the past. Fit. You know, it'll be Olave and Williams rotating at Z. It'll be Jalen Harris and Julian Fleming rotating at X. And then, you know, the number two slot receiver behind Garrett Wilson, that's the one that's just really tough for yeah. me to say because, you know, I really think Jackson Smith and Jigba's a guy, you know, much like Fleming, who I think has a ton of potential to play right away in year one. But, you know, I also look at if we assume C.J. Saunders gets that six-year of eligibility, which I have to imagine we're going to get a ruling on pretty soon yeah, at this point. Hope. You would hope. Um, you know, I think he's definitely a guy who's got a chance. I think Demario's a guy that's got a chance. I mean, I don't even rule out Mookie. I think, you know, it's probably more likely he has to wait a year. You know, same with G. Scott outside. I think it's more likely those two guys have to wait a year to get into the rotation just because of the amount of talent that's there. But, uh, yeah, that number two slot one, that's the one that's just really tough for me to even predict because I, I really think there's a lot of candidates there. Is there anyone who, when you look at it, you're like, if this guy breaks out in a way that we don't totally expect, he can throw everything off? Well, I think Cameron Babb's a guy who comes to mind yep, because this is a guy who's entering his third year in the program. He was another guy who was a top 100 recruit out of high school, and he and – he, has had the unfortunate luck of having, you know, serious knee injuries that have kept him completely out for his first two years at Ohio State. And it and it makes him a total wild card because we just don't know, you know, what he's gonna be able to do this year if he's gonna return to his pre injury form. But, you know, it sounds like he's healthy. Um, he he was one of the most improved players in, in winter conditioning. And and he's a guy, you know, I mean he's a guy if if he returns to his pre-injury form. He's a guy you're going to want to get on the field because he's a talented guy. He's in his third year now of college, and you know I think he's talent. I think he's definitely talented enough to make an impact for Ohio State if, if he's healthy. So you know I think we're both kind of in the same boat there, where you know we're not putting him on the depth chart right now just because we we haven't seen him. I mean I mean he he wasn't even out for first our spring, so we we just haven't seen him. We just don't know. But I, I do think that you know if he comes back in preseason camp and he looks really good, I think you definitely have to seriously consider finding a spot in the rotation for him. Yeah, he's he's a fascinating guy just based on the potential he had combined with the fact he basically hasn't played football for a full season since 2016, which is a long, long time ago. But physically, he, he's right there. Um, the other guy I would mention is just... You know, you mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba and what he can become. And I think that since Julian Fleming's in the class and he's the highest rated non-quarterback of any recruit in, in, in the 2020 cycle, he's going to get most of the headlines. But if, if Jackson Smith and Jigba 
sort of can can maintain the the momentum that he got as a senior in down in Texas. I think that I think I think he has a way to, to wedge himself into the rotation somehow, whether it's at the H, whether it's in one of the outside spots. I don't know. I, I just like you, he's just an intriguing guy that I think sometimes gets a bit overlooked just because he's not the top guy in the class, but he had an outstanding senior season in high school. It got him to, to become a five star prospect and, and I do wonder if there's a way for him to, to get on the field regularly as a freshman and, and what that might mean for the rest of the position group. And I put both Fleming and Smith Dejigba uh, firmly in that same category that I think Garrett Wilson was in last year, where they can prove that they're too talented to keep out of a rotation. That you know guys like C.J. Saunders and Demario McCall and, and Jalen Harris might get passed up if those guys look as good as we think they might look in the practices leading up to the season. Because you know th- those are five-star recruits. Those are guys that are you know potential future first-round NFL draft picks. If if those guys prove that they're ready to play going into the season. You've got to play them. You've got to get them on the field. I, I don't think they're going to start. I, I don't think you're going to start a freshman in week one, especially after uh, the kind of offseason that we've had. But, you know, those, those are two guys I look at and say, you know, for all this veteran talent that's there, you know, if those guys really look like they're ready to play, I think they're going to be too talented to keep off the field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they're, they certainly have that potential. It is going to be a classic matchup of. You have guys like Demario as a fifth-year senior, C.J. Saunders as a sixth-year senior, Jalen Harris as a fourth-year junior, who got who have been around the program, are veterans because of their 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 seniority, but not because of what they've done on the field. Because in large part, they haven't played big roles, at least big consistent roles, um, while at Ohio State and. Those veterans are going to go against freshmen, and I think that that's always fascinating to see how a coach deals with it, because it can be hard. It can be hard inside internally um, on on everybody there. That, that that that's a tough situation. But at the same time, it's obviously up to Ryan Day and Brian Hartline to get the best players on the field. And you know those four freshmen who are coming in, as we all know, are are pretty talented. Well, the thing that I think is so unique about this year, and that makes it uniquely hard on some of these guys is you know we, we talked about it when we were talking about quarterbacks a couple weeks ago about potential transfers and such that usually you'd go through a full spring and by the end of spring we'd have a pretty good idea of what the depth chart's going to look like and at that point you know if a demario's not in rotation if a jalen harris or elijah gardner's not in rotation maybe they look at their situation and say okay it's time for us to transfer but now you go into preseason camp with a depth chart that's completely not set and you know, you know, one of these guys could potentially, you know, it could be a week before the season, and you could find out you're not in the rotation, and now you could be stuck if your 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 final season of college football, if you're you know Demario's case, for example, and, and you could be stuck without an option. So I I think you know that's another interesting dynamic. But again, I think if you're a coaches, I I don't think you can you can let that cloud your decision making because you have to. You have to pick the guys who give you the best chance of winning, and I think you also you got to look at guys like Fleming and Smith and Jigman and say we might only have them for three years. So if if they're good enough, they're ready to play. If they're among our six best receivers, you're going to get them on the field. But there's there's going to be some tough decisions to make here, and and you know probably some some 
people who are good enough to play, but who are ultimately going to be left on the outside looking in simply because there's so much talent in the room. Yeah, this is. I think this is one of the harder position groups on the team to peg just what to expect. Like I could, I could absolutely see some of these older guys breaking through, having solid senior seasons. The younger guys having maybe Garrett Wilson-esque um, freshman seasons, and and all of a sudden this wide receiver group with Olave and Garrett Wilson at, at the forefront is really really good. But I could also see, you know, them not really figuring out exactly what they want out of Garrett Wilson. Olave is really good, but then outside of them. Maybe they, they don't have the, the mix of, of veterans and, and freshmen quite right, and, and they mess it up a little bit, um, have guys on the field, and maybe you question whether they should have had the other guys on the field. I think that that's totally in play because I think that there's there's just a ton of unknown about this one. I, I do think, like you said, I think this this is maybe the position group that I think most differently about if we had a, a, a full spring to sort of get an idea of what they had, and it's, and it's more so than anything – just an idea of what, like you said, a depth chart even looks like, because I, I do think basically anybody is in play for being on this depth chart. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the receivers who are on the field, I would lean toward saying that I think the receivers on the field as a whole might be more talented than the group that was on the field last year, because I think there's a lot of guys in this room that have the potential to yeah. be drafted a lot higher than the seventh round or be undrafted yeah, free agents. I don't agents even think that's a question in terms of talent. Yeah. I, yeah, so I, I think the reality is, you know, in you know, in terms of, you know, athleticism, in terms of just upside for this group, I think it's higher than last year. But you lose a guy who was Mr. Reliable in KJ Hill. You know, you lose you know, last year you had a couple you know, you had you had three guys in KJ Hill, Austin Mack, Ben Victor, who had been in the rotation for at least three years. So that's a lot of, you know, veteran leadership and experience that you're not gonna quite have in this group. I certainly I think Chris Olave is a guy who's ready to be a a leader, bona fide leader for that group. You know, I think Garrett Wilson's a guy who you know has superstar potential. Can, you know, now that he's a guy who has to be that number two uh, guy at minimum can he can he take that step and really be a leader for that group can he really uh, you know be at Mr. Reliable for your group I think he can but I think we still have to see it just because he's only a sophomore and we haven't seen it yet so I think there's a lot of question marks with this group I think there's a ton of reason for optimism with this group but you know I think that's why you know I think you know, there were times, you know, I, I, I can remember, like, you know, a couple quotes from Ryan Day in the spring about being, you know, concerned about him. And people would be like, really? Like, you're, you're concerned about the receivers? But, you know, I think, you know, there is some legitimate concern just on the fact that, you know, most of these guys are inexperienced. And you've lost time now that you typically would have. I mean, typically all offseason long. Justin Fields is going to be throwing to these guys. You've lost months of that now. So that's now months of time that you've got to make up for just to build rhythm with these guys, to, to get everybody on the same page going into that first game and hopefully the first weekend of September. If, if, I, if, if you were Ryan Day and I could give you the option right now, would you take last year's wide receivers or this year's wide receivers after saying all of that? This year's because I like upside. Yeah, you know what's funny? Is like we talk about all that, but yeah, I'm taking this year's too. Just because when you think about what it could look like, yeah, there's a lot of potential with with with, with what this group could be. 
I just think that there's such little certainty about this group that I think the brakes need to be pumped a little bit. But that ceiling of, of what this group can become is, is pretty high, especially when you think that it's Justin Fields throwing to them. You should have a solid run game, too, with Trey Sermon back there, and you have a really good offensive line, and you put all that together, and there's just a lot of reason for optimism, I think, even with way more uncertainty than, than some people would give them credit for. Something else I wrote about for 11 Warriors this week was about – I wrote about one guy at each position who – you know, I think is a guy who you know could potentially make an impact this year who isn't getting a ton of attention right now. And you know, a lot of his choices are by default. They're, they're guys who you know they're they're, they're guys like a Jalen Harris, who I included at wide receiver. You know, guys who are you know getting into the back end of their career. I think you know they've kind of been forgotten about because you know they haven't played much. And then you know, I think you know the the, the, the top ranked freshman. That's always the hot new hot new guy it's always you know the people want to see you know this new young star come up and I think you know older guys can sometimes be forgotten about if they hadn't played but you know I think you look around the roster I think there are still a lot of guys on the roster who you know maybe they are in their third or fourth year at Ohio State and they haven't done much yet but there's still guys who have the potential to contribute in some way or another this year and I you know was curious to ask you Colin kind of who falls into that category for you who's maybe one or two guys that people really aren't talking about yeah that you think could break through and make an impact for the Buckeyes yeah I think you nailed um, some of them in fact when you said that you were going to write that article there are a couple names that came to mind who you included on there so I'll just say I'll, I'll just name the three that that came to mind in terms of that honestly four I'll just say off the top Matthew Jones is a good inclusion because I think people just forget about him. And I, and while I don't think he's going to start at left guard, I think Harry Miller is going to win that job. I think he'll be the top interior lineman off the bench if they need someone. And the guy was a former highly rated four-star recruit. He was the number one center in his class. He's going to be a good offensive lineman at Ohio State, and nobody ever talks about him. But uh, I'll say the other three. So Javante Jean-Baptiste um, goes overlooked a ton. And I think for, for – for decent reason. I mean, he's someone who people thought maybe might have a breakout season last year after redshirting his, his first season, and he just didn't really do a ton. But when you look at him physically, I think he's as physically imposing, as physically impressive as anybody on this roster, which is saying a ton um, just based on, on, on the guys Ohio State has. But but that's what I think of him as um, uh, sort of his, his raw potential. And I think one of these days he'll break out I just don't know if it's going to be this year or not. And I think that's why he's a, he's a solid inclusion here. The other two guys I'd mention are Dallas Gant and Marcus Williamson. Because Dallas Gant, to me, I feel like people are looking at Taraja Mitchell as if he's going to be the guy pushing Tough Borland for playing time. The way I see it is I think Taraja, I think Taraja Mitchell is going to play Will. I think Dallas Gant will play Mike. And I think you're going to see Dallas Gant on the field in sort of a similar role that Baron Browning had last year as the passing downs middle linebacker and a guy who can play in nickel packages at linebacker, and, and nobody really talks about him, but I think he's going to have a really important role. And Marcus Williamson, who in the world has ever had a conversation about Marcus Williamson in the past three years? I mean, it just hasn't happened. Um, yet he's a senior, and he's reunited with Gary Combs, and when Ohio State has to figure out how to replace Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett, like he's right there. 
and still he goes overlooked. And I, I do think he could have a, a nice role as a senior. He obviously has stiff competition in, in Seven Banks and Cam Brown, who I think are really solid, and Tyreek Johnson is there as well. But um, nobody ever talks about him, and, and he could legitimately start. So I think that's a good list because – if you look back at last year's, there were quite a few guys on it um, who made impacts, most notably Devon Hamilton. Yeah, I was thinking about it when I was writing that with, with Marcus Williamson. You know, I'm, I'm going into my fourth season being on this beat full time. I have never talked to Marcus Williamson <laughs> yeah. because he's never been made available for interviews. And he's really never come up like every time I've like written about him which hasn't been too often but every time I've written about him at all in the past couple years I try to search for a quote and there's isn't one I mean I remember I remember one interview session last year with Jeff Halfley where he actually gave me flack because I was jumping over people to ask a question about him because nobody was asking about him and I wanted to get a quote on him so I like jumped over somebody asking a question to make sure I got my question in just to make sure we got something about Marcus Williamson on the record because he we, he just doesn't get asked about he gets forgotten about but I mean I do I think there's a very legitimate chance he starts at slot corner again this is one of those questions we just don't know because of the fact that there were only free spring practices and so there's just so much unknown there I think if there was a full spring we'd have a much better idea of whether he was going to be the guy at slot or whether they were going to you know kick one of those other guys in from outside but you know that that's you know that was kind of a probably the first guy that jumped to mind for me mm-hmm. in terms of deciding to, to write this. Uh, you know, two other guys you didn't mention, but, you know, were, are also guys that, you know, jump out to me that were on that list. Antoine Jackson's a guy I think of because I remember two years ago when he was in his first year on the team, and you probably remember this as well. I mean, I just remember I would always get asked about Antoine Jackson yep. by by readers and, and Twitter followers. to go, what's up with Antoine Jackson? What's up with Antoine Jackson? You know, and the reality is he was – fourth string on the depth chart there were a lot of veterans ahead of him and he just wasn't really needed and now he's in a position he's going to be a top four defensive tackle this year they don't have a ton of depth at that spot he's a guy that they really need to step up and now I never get asked about him I feel like everybody's completely forgotten about him and that that's just the way this thing goes sometimes fit you know a guy comes in you know he was a guy a very unique guy and that he came from a junior college level he was the number one junior college player in his class so I think the expectation there was that he was going to make a big immediate impact and that didn't happen and so I think people just kind of forget about him because of that but you know this is a guy I mean, he's going into his last year so this is the year he's got to make it happen but you know I think there's a guy he he has versatility to play both defensive tackle spots I think they're going to need him I think the door is wide open for him if he can step up and seize it to have that breakout year I mean just like we saw with Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell at defensive tackle last year I think the door is wide open for a guy like Antoine Jackson to step up and really have that big fifth year senior season for the Buckeyes and then you know Marcus Hooker is another guy that I come back to too because I think Josh Proctor gets all the headlines at safety and I, I you know I think very highly of Josh Proctor too I think Proc- Proctor has star potential but I think Marcus Hooker is a guy I mean every time you talk to Kerry Combs or you talk to any of the defensive backs he's a guy whose name always comes up 
as a guy to, guy to watch out for. And we saw at the end of last year. I mean, he was he was getting some snaps over Proctor last year. He was a guy who had, had worked his way in uh, to that defensive back picture by the end of last season. So that's another guy. I mean, I'm not going to predict he has a Malik Hooker type year just because that bar is set so incredibly high Smart. by <laughs> by his brother for a third year of it. I, I can't predict that, but I think Marcus Hooker is going to have a role. Uh, you know, I think maybe we see more two safety looks this year. Or, and Marcus Hooker, I think, is a guy who can maybe even play some of that slot corner slash safety role as well. So that's another guy that I look at and I say, I, don't, I still don't think anybody's really talking about him. But I, I think he's going to have a role one way or another on Ohio State's defense. Yeah, if we're talking about things that maybe we don't quite have a handle on yet, I think the defensive scheme is right up there with me, um, specifically how they use their secondary. Um, because, I mean, last year they tricked us all. I mean, we thought come, we, we, we didn't quite know exactly what to expect because Jeff Halfley came in. You knew it would look different. But the bullet was always talked about, and all of a sudden – the season happens. They go to a one safety look. The bullet isn't used that often, um, and it sort of it it it's very different than what I think that we we anticipated in the preseason. Whereas right now, I mean, I remember when Ryan Day was talking about um, a few months ago um, the hire of Kerry Combs and and whether that changes anything that Ohio State does defensively, and he made sure to say that no, um, they're still going to be a, a one one deep one high safety uh, heavy defense and you know this is the defense he plays but I'll say this like I'm on a little bit of an alert to you know we enter the season and all of a sudden there's two high safeties for 70% of the time like I'm not saying that's going to happen but I'm not ruling that out I think that I think that's totally a possibility and I think when when you hear Marcus Hooker's name come up so often you know what they did last year is they, they went to the single high safety look with um, three cornerbacks on the field at all times with Pete Warner playing effectively the bullet, and they did that because that's what their personnel fit. What if Mar- what if they believe they need to get Marcus Hooker on the field with Josh Proctor, especially since maybe having a second safety beside Josh Proctor helps since he's not exactly the same type of safety as Jordan Fuller was in that spot last year, and they think that that's, that that's more beneficial. I think that's totally a possibility. I really do. And that's where I think Marcus Hooker is, is an especially good inclusion on this list because there's a world in which Marcus Hooker starts this year that nobody really talks about because I think that most people assume that won't happen. I, I, I do think it's a possibility, even though I will project that to happen. I think that's that's just one of those things that's hard to know right now, especially since you know we can't see what they did in spring. We can't talk to them that often about what they're doing, and, and we don't even know when fall camp's going to happen. Yeah, I think they're plenty happy for us not to know what the defensive <laughs> yes. scheme is going to look they're like this year. But, but uh, yeah, I'm right there with you because I, you know, I just keep thinking back to last year when I think it was after the first game, Ryan Day was asked about the scheme and and he he, he admitted, hey, yeah, we, we yeah. didn't watch we we didn't want you guys to know about yep. that. So, you know, my expectation is it might be a small change, it might be a big change. I do believe they have some new tricks up their sleeves on defense. I have no idea what they are. But I do believe there's going to be some different looks on defense this year that, that we haven't seen yet. And I think that their goal would be for us not to know anything about those uh, until the first game. So I, I do believe the defense is going to look a little different this year. I think it's hard to predict because they're purposely going to try to keep us in the dark on that. But I, 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 do, I, I don't 
I don't expect a massive fundamental change, but I do think there's going to be some different looks, different packages next year that, that we didn't see Yeah, uh, yeah. in 2019. No, I agree with that. And I think that, to me, that comes down to the fact that their linebackers are, are very versatile, and they, they have seven upperclassmen there, all of whom can sort of do different things. They add something different to each of them. Um, and their secondary is totally different and that Josh Proctor is a completely different safety than Jordan Fuller. Um, you have Sean Wade back, but then you don't have a guy in the slot who you necessarily know who that's going to be. I think that there's a, I just think there's a lot of ways that Ohio State can go with this, and maybe we don't know what they are right now, sort of at all. And you hired a defensive coordinator who just spent the past two years with an NFL playbook. You gave him the sole defensive coordinator title, and now you're going to tell me he's not going to come in and change anything. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I don't like being lied to. I feel like I feel like if we just say that they're going to look the exact same, we're just lying to everybody. <laughs> because I don't. Yeah, no. I, yeah. I mean, I. I'll be honest, I don't really know what it's going to look like, but I don't just want to regurgitate the fact that, that they say it's going to be the same because I, I just don't buy that. I just, I just don't. And don't get me wrong, I don't blame them. Yeah. If they are <laughs> lying about that, I don't blame them. They should. It's strategic. It makes sense. But that's why we have to look at it with a little bit of cynicism and, and go, eh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if they really mean that because those, those are the type of things that – that they would have reason to keep us in the dark on. Yeah. Hey, if it works, it works. And and if we're not able to see them practice once before the season, it'll probably work. So there you go, Ryan. Dad. And if they have the same scheme, then Kerry will look at us all and he'll tell you, I told you so. <laughs> and, he, and he will he will say he that. He will say that. that because um, that's the kind of guy he is. He'll, he'll make sure to let us know that we did not believe him if it scheme ends up looking exactly the same. Oh, I'd, and I'd respect it, too. As Colin mentioned earlier in the show, there were some updates on the whole COVID-19 and college football situation last week. So I want to talk about those for just a few minutes because I know, uh, you know this topic can get a little bit fatiguing if we talk about it too much. But, uh, you know, I think the things that you know were interesting uh you know it was actually pretty shortly after we recorded last week the news broke that players were going to be starting to return to the woody hayes athletic center on june 8th i wrote july 8th on our show sheet for some reason but it's actually june 8th um so they'll be back in in less than two weeks now buckeyes are going to be back to practicing or not practicing but but working out on a voluntary basis on campus uh, voluntary meaning, you know, coaches can't be there directing those workouts. Uh, based on what Gene Smith said last week, it's going to only be small group workouts to start, so only ten guys at a time. Uh, you know, enforcing social distancing as much as possible. Uh, but you know, given those guys who are in Columbus, uh, the opportunity to you know get in there and and work out and start to regain some sort of normalcy. Uh, in, in hopes of you know the fact that you know they'll be practicing again in a couple months, a, a still a long way to go, I think, to get to that point right now. But the wheels are in motion, you know, toward that point of you know players starting to get back on campus, starting to work out, uh, and hopefully ramping up, you know, toward practices at some point in July. Uh, we also learned last week from gene smith but ohio state is looking at it possibilities for for fans to be in the stands which i i think that is one thing that it 
differs from what maybe we thought last week. So I think last week we were both kind of thinking it's probably more likely there aren't going to be any fans of the stands. And and Gene Smith said, well, he initially said they were modeling for twenty to 22,000. Then he clarified after his teleconference on Twitter that if current guidelines are relaxed, that could potentially move up to forty or 50,000. So the shoe's almost certainly not going to be full this fall. I, I think that's still an extremely unlikely scenario. But it does seem like there's a good amount of optimism coming from Ohio State that they're going to at least be able to have some fans of the shoes here. Yeah, I think at some point in the last month I probably said that I would be blown away if there are fans in the stands. I think you did say that exact phrase. Yeah, well, I consider me blown away when um, that all of a sudden just became a, a realistic possibility that it seemed like they're pursuing um, and and hoping for, honestly. I'm sure that Ohio State wants the revenue that they would get from, from fans in the stands this year. That w- I I'll be honest, I don't even feel like I want to make any predictions today. I don't even want to have that much analysis because I feel like everything I say has just been wrong just in the fact that it, everything changes every other week. So so it's hard to know exactly what they're going to do. I'll say this, I'm surprised that we're at the point already where we're talking about fans in the stands, and I'm also surprised that there are players back on campus. I mean, this just, to me, it just felt, it feels like it's happened so quickly that we went from, is there going to be a season to there are players on campus working out, also fans in the stands is a real possibility. That it just, to me, my main takeaway is, my God, this has happened fast. Well, I was just glad that last week we said we were really optimistic while recording our podcast, because I mean, it was legitimately just a couple hours after we recorded our podcast that uh, I think it was Dave Biddle from Bucknuts uh, broke the news that you know, players were going to be starting to return to campus June 8th. And if we had had if we had recorded a podcast where we were saying we thought there wasn't going to be any football this year, I think we would have had to re-record because you're not bringing players back to campus for workouts right now if if you don't think there's going to be a season in September. So you know, I think we were right in that regard in regard of the optimism toward a season. I mean, I've, I'm even more optimistic there's going to be a season in some form right now. You know, the, the fans thing, you know, I, I, I think it's it's interesting. Again, I think it's one of those things we have to remember. Things things are changing so rapidly that there's, you know, there's things that have happened in the past couple of weeks that we probably wouldn't have envisioned a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I, I think one thing I'd say about that is I think we need to see it in other sports first before I can really feel confident that's going to happen because we are starting to see more and more pro sports come back. You know, those right now don't have any fans. So I think there's going to be other sports leagues before, you know, college sports that experiment with having some fans in the stands first. I think we probably have to see how that works before we can really feel good about that as a solution for college football. But it does seem to be, there does seem to be momentum trending in that direction toward, you know, partial fans. What's that going to look like? How are tickets going to be distributed? All that. Those are still questions that we really don't know the answer to at this point. And like Colin said, are probably best not predicting at this point just because we don't know. But uh, there does seem to be momentum toward that. You know, I think the other thing that I'm really not optimistic on anyway at this point is, you know, I'm optimistic there's going to be college football played in some form. 
whether the schedule is going to look the same as it looks right now, to me, that's still completely up in the air. Would I, I is do I think it's still possible Ohio State could play its full schedule as currently scheduled? I think it's possible. Do I also think it's possible that maybe you know it ends up being conference games only this year? I mean, I, I think that's possible. I think Gene Smith hinted you know that could be a possibility last week. So I think certainly the goal is to play all the games, including that Oregon game. But I still think you know there's a definite possibility that. You know, whatever season we have this fall is one with a modified schedule from what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be football mainly because, and I wrote about this last week. It's just the ingredients for 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 football to happen. To me, there there are two of them um, that we sort of got a glimpse of last last week on the teleconference with Gene Smith, which is one. Everybody wants football to happen. Everybody who's making the decisions wants football to happen. Fans want it to happen. The NCAA wants it to happen. The Big Ten wants it to happen. Uh, Gene Smith wants it to happen. Ohio State wants it to happen. And importantly, the players want it to happen. And if you have all of that combined with Gene Smith going on the teleconference and talking about, you know, if all the Big Ten isn't ready, I don't think that that, uh, that, that should slow down the other teams if, if they want to play football. He, would, he, he mentioned how he thinks that, you know, if there was eight games, if there was ten games in a season, maybe that would be possible. He, he, he just seemed open to possibilities. And when you're able to be that flexible and everybody wants this to happen – I mean, to me, that just leads to the fact that I think football is going to happen. Like you said, though, it's just hard to know in what form what it'll look like um, this fall. Yeah, I mean, it's there's still so many unanswered questions. That's why we'll probably be talking about this a little bit on most episodes of Real Pod Wednesdays all summer long. But uh, we can get to some of our reader questions now. I uh, got quite a few this week. Uh, our first question came from STX Buck, and he asked, "Is the staff going to offer a new round of interior offensive linemen? If is it Jager or Jagger? I don't, I'm not sure how to pronounce his I first name. I don't know. Name. I hope it's Jager though. Or, <laughs> I know that's what I always think. I, I don't. I don't think, think it, is, it is though. No, no. Um, I think it's if Bert, I think it's Jager, but I but I also just made that up. Um, so I'm going to go with Jager. It might be Jagger. It might be Jager. Um, that's what. That's what we really should have asked our recruiting guy, Zach Carpenter. But 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 we did ask him about this, and and it sounds like probably not. It sounds like right now that they're probably looking, you know, at Burton being you know that last guy that they're looking at as an interior offensive lineman. You know, the, the question is is he going to come to Ohio State or is he going to stay in state in in Kentucky? Um, seems like there might be some momentum there. Uh, toward him, you know, potentially staying in state and going to Kentucky, uh, but he's certainly still a a high priority target for Ohio State. Somebody they want to add to that interior offensive line class, but doesn't really seem to be a ton of other targets there that they're they're looking at. Certainly, uh, offensive tackle uh, J.C. Latham still being a guy that they're they're targeting very heavily at that position. But it seems like interior offensive line. Uh, they might not be inclined to reach if they they don't end up with Burton. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I think is important to note here is right now um, they might not be wanting to do that. But say they miss unexpectedly on three guys who you're you're anticipating are going to be in this class who it seems like Ohio State's leading for. I think that can change plans, but right now it doesn't seem like um, that's likely. Well, yeah, that's a good point because – 
you look at you know the way this class is filling up with 19 guys, there's just not a ton of spots left. And when you're still talking about guys like Emeka Egbuka and what are we, JT Tuamolowau. I was going to let you take that one. I should try it again. Uh, you know, J.C. Latham, who I just mentioned. Derek Davis is a guy who's still out there. Uh, you know, there, there's enough guys out there. Uh, Hudson Wolf at tight end, certainly a guy that they're uh, trying to get. So uh, Tywon Malone at defensive tackle. So, you know, right there, I mean, you're, I don't know if you're going to get all those guys, but let's say you do. Well, then your class is full. So I think that is a big part of it in terms of you you you, you have enough guys you're looking at right now that uh, you know you might take a top end talent you might take one more at a position than you thought you would because you have the chance to get a top end talent here and one less at another position because if you can get a top 100 guy at a smaller position of need you'd still rather take that than take a 400 ranked guy. Just, just to get another guy at a position. Next question um, from Seattle Linga. It was asked a few days ago what we thought was the position we were most concerned about heading into the season. I believe he's talking about it on a, on a poll on 11warriors.com. Yep. And he says, what is yours and why? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's. I think we've talked about this before, but to me it's it's pretty easy. It's, it's defensive back because – there's just so much uncertainty at that spot. You've got Sean Wade as a returning starter, but other than that, uh, there's just so much uncertainty there, and that's such an important position to the success of the defense that, you know, to me, that that just stands out as the biggest position of concern. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. It's funny. Um, we actually messaged about that poll because I think you were surprised at one of the results. Was it the defensive line? No, I think or it was linebackers. linebackers. Yeah, it was linebackers. Yeah, it was a solid like ten percent of people who who picked linebackers as the biggest position of concern, and and I and I, I know what that is. I know <laughs> that those ten percent of people who are still convinced in their heads that Tuff Borland and Pete Warner are bad football players, and that's why they they voted for linebackers. But I mean, linebacker that's pretty low on the list for me. I mean, we, we we've talked about the depth they have there, seven upperclassmen. Linebackers uh, really one of the lower positions of concern for me, for sure. Yeah, it is for me as well. I mean, I you know, tough is fine. Pete Warner's good. They've got five other upperclassmen there. That is not a concern of mine right now. Question that I think kind of follow along with this, at least for my my answer, comes from Silver Sniper, and he asks if the Buckeyes could transfer in any single player in the country, who, with the caveat, they would be eligible to play this upcoming season. Who should it be? Should it be the best player overall, one who fills a position of greatest need, or would you take the best player from a tough opponent to cripple their chances of success? That's that's a good way of phrasing the question because there's those are definitely all factors that you can consider here. For me, I'm just going to look at it as who is the best player I can go get that I think makes this Ohio State football team better and gives them a better chance to go win a national championship. And for me, the guy who immediately jumped to mind when I read that question would be Derek Stingley, the corner from LSU. Because of the fact we just talked about the the concerns in the secondary, uh, you've got you know one elite talent there in Sean Wade, but with so many other question marks. Stingley's a guy who's going into his second year and a lot of people already think he's the best cornerback in college football, a guy uh, who's going to be a future top five pick in the NFL draft. So to me, that's the guy I'm going to go get. I want to go get Derek Stingley. Uh, I'll take him off the defending national champions. And I think if you can pair him up with Sean Wade at corner, 
suddenly you have the best cornerback tandem in the country and a lot less concerns about your secondary. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, I was considering a cornerback, but I'll try. I'll go with something else. I mean, part of me just wants to go with Jamar Chase because if you add Jamar Chase to this offense, I mean that's 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 pretty nuts, right? Right there. Um, but like, if I were to talk about the the weakest defensive units, it's hard for me to not go back to the defense. Um, but. I mean, I'm thinking of a guy like a Micah Parsons. I sort of would be interested to see what Micah Parsons would look like on on this defense, even though, like I talk about, I don't think the linebackers are are really a concern of mine. I'm not sure if there's a linebacker right now who I think is an All-American candidate, and I think Micah Parsons is. Um, I think Pete Warner, maybe if he has a breakout year that people don't see coming, could be that, um, or or a Baron Browning maybe. But those are big ifs, and I think that if you could add a a linebacker – at, at his caliber, that would be fascinating. The the other guy, though, I mean, if I was being honest, if, if I were trying to take someone away from a team, too, like, Penny Sewell might be my answer, just because I think this offensive line right now is unbelievable. And if you add him, I think all of a sudden you have the best tackle, best guard, and potentially best center in the country to go along with uh, um, Harry Miller and Thayer Munford. And that's crazy. <laughs> that would be crazy, and and honestly, that might be my pick. Yeah, I mean, if I'm straight up taking someone away from another team to improve my chances of beating them, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. But the problem yeah. there <laughs> is who plays between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Uh, so that's why I wouldn't pick him. But if that was a rationale, I'd have to go Trevor Lawrence because Clemson's the team that I'd be most yes. worried about beating. Oh yeah, no. If, if it was just if if you're doing that, I do think Trevor Lawrence is actually the answer um, for solely that reason. I think that taking him off would have a bigger impact on Ohio State's opportunity to win a national championship than adding any single player. Little Trouty asked us, if you had to redo your career and you couldn't be a sports writer or blogger or podcaster, I'll go sports writer, sports writer, sports journalist, sports reporter, any of those are good good for me. Definitely prefer those over blogger. Uh, But the question is, what would you be? When you grow up with a, with a smiley face asked. Well, first of all, let's just hope that we don't have to, like, actually ask ourselves this question anytime soon with the, the state of the sports journalism industry right now. But, man, I mean, that's such a tough question because this is, like, the only thing that I've really ever seen myself doing uh, since I realized I didn't have the uh, genetics to be an athlete myself. I, I've always wanted to work in sports. So, uh, you know, to me, I, I never really considered anything that – wasn't involved in sports you know I mean there was you know there was a time where I I saw myself really trying to pursue a career as you know being on the front office side of a sports team so uh you know I certainly like looked at being like a scout maybe uh for a football team or you know you know something involved in you know player personnel or something like that but you know ultimately I realized you know media was a more realistic uh, venue for me to get in, especially someone who uh, wasn't much of a football player myself, um, I was going to have a better chance uh, of going the media route with this. So I don't really have a good answer. Like, there's not really anything else that I look at and say, like, man, I should have done this instead. Is there anything that comes to mind for you, Colin? Yeah, it's it's funny. There's There really isn't. Um, like you... It's basically every single other career in sports. So it's like right. on the front office side, 
Like, sure, when I was five, I would have loved to be a professional athlete. <laughs> that dream died early. Um, but, um, like, a sports agent, sure, I had that flash of, like, what would that be like? But, no, it, it's basically every single other job in sports is my answer, and there isn't really another one that I came close to necessarily doing. So I don't have an actual answer there. I just remember being a little kid and like wanting to play in the NBA. And I just remember like hearing the stories about Michael Jordan getting cut from the team as a sophomore in high school. And I'm thinking like, maybe I'll be a late bloomer, you know, maybe, maybe I'll be a late bloomer and eventually I'll get that ability uh, to, to be an NBA player. But I think by the time I was like, even like 10, I think I realized, yeah, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, I think between the ages of 5 and 8, I had multiple conversations with my mom of whether I'd be able to enter the MLB draft out of high school or if I had to go to college for three years. <laughs> I, don't know that those, I don't know that those conversations lasted to the age of 9. I sure hope they do. Um, but no, I, I did not sign with an MLB team out of high school. So I guess that one, um, unfortunately, I went another another direction then. Ginnon Juice is back. I, I had been wondering where you had gone, Ginnon Juice, because uh, you hadn't asked a question in a while. But he said, it's been a minute, but I'm back, boys. With summer approaching, what is your go-to barbecue dish, side, and drink slash cocktail? And now I'm realizing this is one I bet I should have looked at and thought about uh, for a minute before I did, because that's a, that's a lot. Uh, in one question. Did you, did you think about this one at all, Colin? I gave it a little bit of thought. I don't have a great answer. Like, there's not something that, like, I'm really good at cooking or I really like this specific <laughs> thing. So, like, I am I feel like I'm going to disappoint. But, like, any, like, a, like, chicken, burgers, cornbread, literally any type of potato in any form I will eat and, and enjoy – I'm a pretty simple person when it comes to this, and, and I don't I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going to disappoint there. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat with you there. Like, you know, to me, like, I just kind of think of, yeah, just, like, grilling grilling chicken and burgers. I mean, I, you know, I, I think of just, like, barbecue stuff. Like, I love, like, brisket, but I certainly don't know how to make brisket. I'll go to a restaurant and get that. But, you know, I just kind of think of, like, summer and, like, going to a cookout or something. I uh, don't know how many cookouts there's going to be this year, but under normal circumstances, yeah, I'm usually thinking, like, you know burgers and and chicken and you know uh potato salad and you know pasta salad and and stuff like that um i don't know if there's really one go-to and you know drinks i'm probably boring with that too because i'm not a huge drinker so i probably don't have a a great answer for that one do do you colin no but i can make people angry i don't really well i know colin likes his bud light so (laughs) Sure, I guess that'll be my answer. Um, Austin Ward of Letterman Row would be really disappointed with me. Um, a beer connoisseur he is. But um, I, I do not really like ribs, so I think people will get very angry at me for that take. But I'll just be honest, uh, they're, not, they're not my favorite. I'm honest. I'm with you actually. Oh I'm, not, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge rib guy. All right. I'm just I, was, a, I was a little worried to say that, so I think now people are just going to hate us both. <laughs> nah, I'm with you. I mean, I love, I love like brisket. I love pulled pork. Ribs have never really been my thing. All right. Well, I'm glad that we agree on that because I was a little nervous getting that take off. We had a couple questions from a couple weeks ago, but I remembered uh, we hadn't gotten to because they came in after the buzzer. So I figured I'd add those as well. Another food question: Bucky Baller asked, "Ranch or blue cheese for wings?" 
I've gone blue cheese now for a while, but I'll be honest, the last time I went out and got wings, I had ranch, and I feel like I need to go back and get ranch again, because I might be con I might be in the middle of a conversion right now, Dan, this is very important, so I'm glad he asked this question, but here's the issue, I don't know when the next time I'm going to have wings is, so this conversion <laughs> might be, a, that might be, might take a long time. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a blue cheese guy, uh, I like ranch as well, I'm, I'm not... I, to me, I'm not one of those, like, that's just one thing that I don't have a big, like, strong opinion on. Like, one is clearly better than the other. Like, if I'm getting, like, buffalo wings, I usually want blue cheese with them. But, like, I'll eat them with ranch, too. It's not really. Uh, to me, they're both good. I'll eat them without either, too. Maybe that makes me weird. Maybe that makes me a guy <laughs> who likes chicken tenders. But I'm okay with that. Yeah, if I'm eating, like, like hot wings, I need, like, blue cheese or ranch. Like, you need something, too. Uh, cool, cool them down. If I'm eating a different kind of wing, not necessarily. I also hate bone-in wings. I'm just trying to get my takes out there so people. Yeah, can see hate that? Me. That's a more controversial yeah. take right yeah. there. That's a more controversial. That's take when right you know there. what you yeah. know what my favorite comeback to that is. People will say, "Well, boneless wings are just chicken chicken tenders," and you know what my my comeback is? You're damn right they are. Those are all I love chicken tenders. Those are amazing. No, I I like them both. I I am in the camp of. You know, bone-in wings are real wings, and I think they do taste better. But I, I also respect the convenience of boneless wings, um, and and so I, I'm not somebody who has a super strong opinion on it. But I, I do lean toward bone-in wings, and I think, I think when most people think of wings, like that's the actual wing of a chicken. I think that's that's what you're thinking of for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I understand it. I just don't want to go home and have to take a shower after I go out to dinner. If you need a shower, you just need a wet nap or something. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you need a lot of uh, a lot of water, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, something after that. Easy E for TD. It also asked us a couple weeks ago. How do you see secondary recruiting shaking out? Obviously, we kind of got an answer for that on Sunday with Denzel Burke committing to Ohio State. But I did think I'd bring it up because I, I know that our our Zach Carpenter. You know, he's been talking to some, you know, sources that he, he knows around the program. And, you know, he, he's been pretty adamant that he thinks Ohio State is going to continue to recruit uh, two defensive backs specifically, uh, being Derek Davis, the safety from Pennsylvania, and Jalen Davies, the corner from California. So even though I think the idea had been they were only going to take one more defensive back, uh, it, it does seem like, you know, there, there's definitely still the possibility you know, there's a couple of guys that they're looking at that they will consider adding. And, you know, I'm, I think certainly Tony Grimes is a guy, too, that I think was actually in the question. If, if they had a chance to get Tony Grimes, uh, I think they'd certainly take him. But I think momentum is not on their side with that No, one. yeah, it does seem like a, like Derek Davis, it, it seems like, is maybe the most likely candidate there. But I'd be lying if I said I felt any, any degree of certainty. All right. I guess the time has come, according to Silver Sniper. He took, he has even sent me the karaoke version of More Than a Feeling by Boston, the song that I used to sing on Rock Band, as I mistakenly revealed on this show a few weeks ago. I'm going to do it. I've got it keyed up right here. You're only, you're only going to get a verse and the first chorus for me, but I'm going to do it, and Colin will try to stifle his laughter. I'm not getting... If you're doing this for real, I'm putting my mic on mute because I, I don't know if I could... I might even have to put the... Um, oh, man. 
This is for real. We're doing it. We're doing it. I looked out this morning and the sun was gone. Turned on some music to start my day. I lost myself in a familiar song. I closed my eyes and I slipped away. It's more than a feeling When I hear that old song they used to play And I begin dreaming Till I see Mary Ann walk away I see my Mary Ann walking away And that's enough of that. Colin, are you still with us? Sorry, Dan. I thought I might have passed he's, out. He's there. trying to regroup. Thought I might have passed he's trying out to regroup. right there. <laughs> I can't believe that you actually went through with it. So, I can't either. Sniper, and now I'm silver sniper. Better, better. Thank you. Yeah. Now I'm dreading that how this is going to come back and bite me later in my life, but. I'm just, I'm, it's out I'm there. I'm so glad you did that. I, I think, I don't even know if you've, I think the most singing you've ever done in front of me was in a car on the seventh hour of a road trip. I'm going to say, I feel like you've, you've definitely heard me like singing along the songs, but most of the thing is, most of the time you are out and asleep uh, during road trips. So I, it, it gets to the point where I'm trying to keep myself awake. So I just start singing and realize that you and Zach are usually both. Uh, out and asleep and aren't even paying attention so uh, I figure I can get away with it but but yeah there's that um, probably was not my best performance I'm not gonna lie I could tell I was not hitting the notes very well but uh I can't believe hey. we, we only made it to we're only in May and we've already got to the singing portion of real pod Wednesdays what in the world does we have in store for us <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's going to depend on what people what people request from us. Uh, there's a limit on that, but uh, hey, you know what? I figured. I figured. I figured as soon as I said it and put it out there, but I was going to have to do it at some point. So, Dan, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I, it's been I, done. I'll say this: not a freaking chance that I'm going to be singing on the podcast anytime soon. So, shout out. Silver Sniper, I'm going to need you to pressure Colin into singing on the podcast because I I just put myself out there. I just put myself out there for the world to ridicule. I am undoubtedly going to hear about this (laughs) uh, from my friends on the Ohio State Beat if they listen to this podcast. So, um, yeah, I've put myself out there. I think think we need to come up with something for Colin Uh, to do now to embarrass himself. Well, I don't know embarrass. I might go to, to show off one of my talents. (laughs) <laughs> As, are you saying? Are you saying I'm not a talented singer? No, I said that that's one of your talents that you were showing off, and I got to find one of my <laughs> talents to show off. And it just so happens that singing is not one of those. I can promise you all. I, 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 hey, I, I will say, I will say this. This, this should have been my answer for a little trouty. Like if I could actually sing, which as you all learned, I can't. 
I mean, I, I'd go. I'd be like Mickey Mirati. I'd I'd go quit and be in a rock band. Like that. That would be fun. Uh, but I don't have the talent to do it. If I if if I had the talent to do it, uh, that would be a hell of a lot of fun. But uh, unfortunately, I do not see that day coming. Um, I I have a feeling. I will not be getting a call from any talent agents for that singing. I, I might get a call from Simon Cowell telling me how terrible I am, but I, I don't think I'm going to be getting any calls from any talent agents looking to uh, sign me to their record labels. Well, I might have to float it out there, send a few emails their way, because they got to they gotta know what kind of diamonds in the rough are, are covering Ohio State. I, I think, I mean, 11 Warriors records. We should just start it up. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Well, I think that's about enough podcasting for one day. Now that I've now that I've bitten the bullet and and shown off my rock band skills, which I I will say in my defense, I I think I absolutely was better at that like when I was actually playing rock band because I was uh I was not a fully formed adult with fully formed vocal cords and could actually hit the higher notes a little better than I can now. But uh hey, I I tried. I put myself out there i'm excited for silver um, sniper specifically to get back because i was just aimed right at him i mean I, yeah i mean i mean I, I i hope you're listening silver sniper i'm sure you are because you are a very loyal listener and uh, i look forward to to your feedback and everyone else's feedback um i don't know if i should look forward to it but i do uh, you will have some fun with it it's <laughs> it's like like colin said it's the end of may we haven't seen any real football for a while hopefully we will in a few months, but uh, we are in the dregs of the off season here. So, gotta find ways to keep it fun. Thank you, Silver Sniper, for uh, encouraging me to have a little fun this week. So, thanks again to everyone for listening in, and we'll be talking to you or singing to you or whatever we decide to do next week.